1: Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity
0: and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This
1: is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants.
0: You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space.
1: Hi, welcome to Mindspace. Uh, This is Jeff Boucher and I'm here with Maya St. Clair. And this week we are talking to Alberto Mielgo, uh, who is an Emmy-winning animator uh, and he is director of The Windshield Wiper, which is a short film that a lot of people, including us, are expecting to be part of the uh, Academy Awards field coming up soon. So uh, we're very, very excited uh, to have him on the show
2: yeah heavy metal fans you might know him from his short film the witness which is one of the episodes in the netflix show love death and robots uh that won a bunch of emmys uh it's extremely dark uh and sexual as is the windshield yeah, wiper dark and, and he's uh, on the, right?
3: also yeah well. on the other
2: end you know <laughs> yeah. he he was also uh, very influential in the creation of uh Sony's Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. He's got a really distinct animation style that's immediately recognizable. He's also done kind of animated and production design for for video games, including uh, Watch Dogs, because he's got a kind of graffiti style that fits with their kind of urban uprising there. And then he also did the uh, production design and the animated intro for the Beatles rock band, which Which is pretty great an extremely beloved little animated snippet you should definitely check out but it's iconic i don't think scientists have really found a formula for human happiness but it somewhat resembles having a bunch of penguins sing i am the walrus still
1: so. it's pretty great it's pretty great and, and and beatles rock Band was uh was huge in my household you know my kids uh, really really love that and it was such a great way to uh to share music that I was very passionate about and watching them become passionate about it and actually know the music better than me by the end was was really really uh, pretty pretty cool that I'll always uh, be thankful for that that moment in time you know
2: yeah but Uh, you guys yeah you and Alberto had a great conversation about you know all sorts of stuff artistic honesty and integrity and creativity so it's extremely interesting. We're wishing him the absolute best at the Oscars. And we Absolutely. encourage you to check out uh, the windshield wiper. It's on YouTube for a limited time as uh, the animated short of the week. Uh, so definitely check that out and we'll get right to it. Thanks so That's much. Okay.
3: Thanks.
1: Alberto, welcome to the show. It's, uh, it's very nice to talk to you today. Thank you
0: very much. Thank you for inviting me. And
1: uh, you are talking from where today, exactly?
0: Um, today I am in my, um, in my country, in Madrid. And up today I happen to be in the room that I grow up. Uh, oh, wow. Because, yeah, it's weird. I'm, I'm visiting my family and I'm in the same bed where I was sleeping when I was like, sit down in the bed when I was like fucking, you know, like two to 16 or 17 that I left.
1: Wow. And so, and, and has it been, uh, sort of, uh, hermetically sealed all your stuff still intact or has it been re, uh, re, redesigned?
0: <laughs> no, of course. Redesigned. It's been repurposed. You know, it's been like a storage place. Your somehow. yesterday's news.
1: your yesterday's
0: Yeah, news. yeah, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> and, and I, I contribute to that. Like every time that I come, I'm, I'm like, okay, let's tie it up because there is so much shit here.
1: So let's see now. So when you were say, uh, say 15 16 you would have been hmm. uh, what would have been on your walls uh what what would i have seen on your walls that would help me know what kind of uh things you were interested in
0: interesting um probably um yeah basically comic books that i was doing um i was not um, kind of like i mean I, maybe earlier i have posters you know of uh-huh. I don't know, like a football team that I like, uh, uh-huh. maybe Michael Jackson. But that was earlier, I suppose. Uh, when yeah. I was like 15, 16, kind of like I decorating my own thing with either paintings of mine or or my own comic books.
1: That's that's exciting. That's good. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I would have had some of my art on the walls, but my art wasn't good enough, so I had a lot of other people's art. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but uh, cool. I, I wanted to be an artist. When I was in high school, I actually was taking classes with a hope of being an artist. And, and, and I still draw, uh, uh, but I actually, my art teacher uh, sat me down for, gave me a talk when I was a, a junior uh-huh. uh, and said, you know what, yeah, I, when I was your age, I was better than you and I'm doing this and this is okay, but this isn't that great. And oh my I, God. And and I and I was like I was really upset. And but what she said is she she had the school newspaper and she I had written an article for the school newspaper and I'd interviewed a student who had been hit by a drunk driver and been paralyzed and wow. wrote this story. Um, and she said, you know, I, I read the story. Everybody's read the story. Everybody's crying. And and this is special that you can do this. Um, you should do that. Interesting. <laughs> And I was like, ah, like it, it was really threw me off. Like I, 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 <clears throat> I was flattered, but also like kind of hurt. And, and uh, it was just a real strange bundle of feelings. But later I, when, um, yeah, many years later, that was in 1986, 1997, I had a book published uh, and uh, I sent it to a teacher. I sent her a copy said, like, you were right.
0: <laughs> <Thank> nice. <you. laughs> That's so good. Yeah. You see, uh, I think that, if you like, for example, I have a, a similar scenario, but I actually was the, the opposite in terms of the teacher. Like, I remember my mother was asking for advice because I was always drawing and kind of like in the school, I was basically drawing, painting non top. And, and my mother asked to a teacher, like, shall I put him in a school or shall he go and, and learn? And the teacher actually says like no don't do it like let him just be free and and enjoy don't don't put him rules and i think that that's very interesting because in my career i realized that i never trained on purpose like Mm -hmm. i always um i always practice by accident because i always had projects like my own comic books since i am very young or you know film projects or things that i that I wanted to do before becoming a professional, I always had something, some stories to tell or some stories to draw, or maybe a project of paintings. Um, so I never found myself, okay, today I'm gonna draw faces or today I'm gonna draw hands, you know, or right. today I'm gonna train, which I think training sucks, right? I think, right. I think it's right. like, like, you lose the, Joy. you lose the, yeah. Like for example, I remember, um, when I was at Disney, I had, um, I had, um, the, it was a triathlon team, um, and they contacted me because I was cycling to the studio every day, right? And then they said, Let, let's do a race. And it was, the race was some sort of like a Malibu uh, triathlon thing that they do in the summer, in September. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. And I always run, and I always cycle, but because I like it. And yeah. and I ended up doing third in my category, which was pretty incredible. And then that very much supports the whole thing. It's like, okay, I never trained, but I was just doing it for fun. And then all of a sudden I was good at it. Few months later, I start training and I start disliking it, you know? Uh-huh. I'm like. I don't like cycling for the sake of training. You know, like training was kind of like hard. You know, you have to wake up at this time. You have to measure your, the time. You have to run faster. You need to do like a series of sprints. And then I realized, oh my God, this is so boring. I hate it. Um, and, I, and I love cycling and running. So I stopped doing it and I, I keep, I stopped training. And now I keep doing it just for the sake of, you know, like commuting or, or running mm. because I like, but never training, never training.
1: Was there another association or was it just the, the, the routine of it or, or is, it, is it the hours or, or it just it sapped the joy out of it for you?
0: Yeah, it's just studying, you know, like it's just like the instead of like doing something because you are enjoying it and you like it. It's the same as when I was doing my paintings and my projects, you know, probably if I go to any school, they will start teaching me, you know, no, you don't hold the pencil like that. No, you need to mix the colors like this. No, you don't look at the object like that. And they they start imposing exercises that they are not your choices. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what that completely drew me off in this kind of, in the sport case. And then I basically support the idea um, just by telling you this kind of like short triathlon time in my life. Very yeah. <laughs> yeah. sure. Yeah.
1: Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, but you know, the thing is, is that uh, you were so f- fully formed as an artist that you were creating your own craft. I mean, if you you, you said you, you didn't do practice, you didn't draw faces one day because you were publishing your own comic book. Well, that means you're doing, you're drawing faces and everything uh, in the comic book. I mean, that's, you're exactly. inventing your own culture, you know?
0: Exactly. I mean, if you have to do a comic book, do you need to draw a person that is getting inside into a car that is driving inside of the city? So all of a sudden you find yourself with a bunch of problems that you need to solve by yourself. Okay, I need to draw a man. I need to draw a man that looks like the same man in every single panel. Oh, I yeah. You need to draw the car. Yeah, in different perspectives. So then all of a sudden you start solving things and then you start practicing, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm going to draw a hand for the first time because he needs to grab, um, you know, a wallet or whatever. Right. Um, so you need to figure things out. And, and that's how you indirectly train Basically, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. which yeah, I guess or... is what happened with with you when you were writing. Probably you were writing at home or whatever. Not really. You know, no. like I now I don't. Uh, I mean, I I drew a
1: lot, and I had stories in my head that went with the drawings, but I didn't just say, I didn't just write. And you know, the only reason I I, I just liked uh, the the public uh, celebration and uh, the the rare acknowledgement from grown-ups that I was doing something that wasn't illegal uh so I like yeah. you know I just was like I'll keep doing this but I never yeah. I don't even enjoy writing I I, I enjoy having <laughs> written. I don't enjoy writing I I enjoy, there I enjoy talking to people so that I, I was a, I was a reporter before I was a writer in some ways because I always talked to people that were older than me and that I didn't know That sounds strange, but no, I mean, I could, I just had, as a kid, I was, I was, was, you know, I could talk to people.
0: There Um, you go. But that was your training, I suppose, right? Like, just because you were like talking to people, you were like a communicator somehow. And, and then all of a sudden, when you wrote the first article, you had so many hours on you on training that, that it happened, you know? Yeah, was, but, yeah, sorry that there's, there's people that they need to train you know there's people that training is good for them who knows you know
1: it's i think for me it was the uh i was raised in the senior citizens community so i was the only kid and uh-huh. i wasn't allowed to, and they had rules like i could actually couldn't play outside it was like uh it was like a funny kind of uh thing and the uh um the ambulances would come like every other week you know it was really kind of strange and uh um talking to all the older people in the neighborhood you know they were all in their 70s and 80s they were all survivors of the war they were all the great depression wow um they you know all had tattoos and stuff from the war and and uh uh, they were all from philadelphia new york boston and i was in down in you know miami area and uh none of them were from there and so as a kid i had like uh I was. I realized that if you were polite and you listened, uh, and you would get cookies and stuff, you know, like in, if you listened yeah. to their stories and stuff. So I just yeah. became a, a journalist for food as a child. I think incredible. Uh, but the other kids thought I was really weird because, like, I had opinions about like Bing Crosby and Mussolini and you know, strange things from the forties. That yeah. early. Wow. You know, just because uh, all my context was like I you know was uh, like Bogart, not. Uh, you know Schwarzenegger. It was just, just nice, of, of course, just because of the, the intake of the, the stuff. What what was the things that you were passionate about as a kid? Um, you know, uh, what made you when you drew? Uh, did you draw stuff that you saw that was uh, already well known, or did you uh, your creators yeah. from whole cloth?
0: Yeah, um, I'm almost so almost similar. I mean, like for example my first comic book that fell into my hands, I didn't know even how to read. And it was um, uh, a volume of, uh, from Tintin. Um oh. And uh, my, my father was reading to, to me. He was basically, okay, this is what is happening. And I remember vividly some of the panels of that particular volume. And, and I became very obsessed about about the team you know and I was like I want to be a comic book artist like yeah. very very from the early. I want to create my own worlds and I create my own character it was called Beto which he mm-hmm. was a guy with a super funny hair and you know it was constantly you know full of action falling from cliffs but then um, uh, saving his life and I was always like filling up pages with no kind of like direction basically just like um, telling a story with no end and then sometimes I was stuck and I'm like, oh, where, where this goes? But piles and piles of paper, very weird. I, I don't even understand oh, how it grew on me. That's interesting. Yeah.
3: Uh,
1: you know, a lot of people that get drawn to art and I know
3: uh, for me, I would draw an image but as interested in the movement as you were in
0: the, uh, the image. Totally. For at least the first 10 years, everything was like comic books. I was not so much about creating a piece of art. It was more about comic books. And then I gave it to my sister as she was four years older. And then to my parents and then they read it. And then, you know, like later on, vampire comic books, uh, crime, people getting killed, detectives trying to solve the thing, a detective called Lord Pepper. I don't know. I had like a bunch of fucking stuff that even every time that I come here, I'm like a little bit like, um, um, you know, it's, it's like, oh my God, what am I gonna do with all this paper? You know, it's like, I, okay. I don't feel, I don't have the courage of throwing it away or burn it or whatever it is, but, but it's worth I suppose nothing. Um, and I don't know what to do with it, you know? Uh,
1: you know, the, uh, uh, invaluable is another word for something that's worth nothing. You know, like, it, you know, just because it's not worth anything doesn't mean it's worthless. You know, uh, also, yes,
0: yeah. yes, it's true. I mean, it has almost I mean, it has a sentimental value for sure. And it's yeah. almost I feel a little bit of. Um, maybe? Yes, Yeah. it's, it's like,
1: sentimental. It's sentimental. It's,
0: yeah, it's a little bit of like, uh, I mean, it's almost like like betraying. The younger yourself, if all of a sudden you take all that work and then put it in the bin, you know, it's it's yeah. a little bit it's a little bit sad for that team. Yeah.
1: If it meant so much to you then, why should it mean so little to you now? But exactly, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting, you know, question. Uh, is art uh, the object or was it the experience? You know, like for me, I um, when I paint, uh, I never know when to stop. Like, well I do know when to stop, but I don't. Because I'm enjoying, to me, art is almost, because I'm not good enough to, to have it realize, it, I, I can't realize it the way I see it in my mind, so I, it frustrates me, so I don't enjoy it as an object, so I continue the experience until it's past being an object of value. I, I paint until it's not a painting anymore. Uh, wow. It's, 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 it's almost subconscious. like I, it's like it's I didn't realize that that's what I was doing for a long time and and it's funny because I I interviewed Ridley Scott a few times and and, you know he's a he's a big painter you know uh and he trained as a painter he uh he was in the same class I've always tried to get him to do an interview together with David Hockney they were in a class together no way yeah they they studied uh they were in like an advanced painting uh course like uh you know I, I I'm not sure the exact citation of the class and stuff like that but they you know, they it was a very serious uh, part of their their uh, scholarship, and uh, bef- before Ridley started making TV commercials, and I, I was fascinated by that, and I was like, wow, the idea of you guys in the class together is just uh, tremendous. Uh, Imagine. But uh, and he showed me some of his paintings, and he you know, Gladiator started as a, uh, he saw a painting, and 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 was I want to make a movie about that painting, and turned that painting into a movie, which was kind of interesting, but of his own wow. art his own art, he, he said that uh, he can't leave a canvas alone. He keeps going back to it and then he, he gets lost in the details and then he gets frustrated because it, and and I can totally relate because he, it's just, you pile, up, you just, you can't stop, you know? And, uh, and it occurred to me later is that that's what he did. That's Prometheus. Is he's going back to the canvas? <laughs> the Blade Runner, the uh, you know, twenty forty nine. He's going back to the canvas. Oh. you know. And I feel like calling him. Like, don't do it. <laughs> he, he said, "Stop he it. Won't like it."
2: He also said I hope, one of the most I interesting
1: that he, things that I ever yeah. heard. Uh, he's, I, I. was asking about writing because you know he's written so much these years, but he he doesn't write anymore. And I said, "Why?" And he's like, "I'm not brave enough to go in that room alone." Wow. And I and I was like, "Wow." And and he like really meant it,
0: and I and I, I don't I don't quite get it. So, it's fascinating. writing writing is a hell of a thing, and and I totally get it. Um, I am in the middle myself for like writing next projects, and it is it is it gives you so much insecurity, um, especially because you are creating something that you might like, and then the next day you hate it, and then who knows if people is going to like it. You know, I th- at least, you know, art in and when, when you kind of like uh, do sort of like figurative art, um, there is a point in which, in which you are, you know, you know when it's good. You understand mm-hmm. if technically at least it's good. Now that the image is something that everybody likes, well, you don't know. Um, but I think that writing it's so much about, of course, technically you can say, yeah, this is well-written, but do people is going to really like it? Do people is going to really understand it? Do people is going to criticize it? And he's going to say like, dude, this is horrible. This this is, this is in a part. doesn't make any sense, you know? And, and it's definitely, you know, but I always think about the first writers when they wrote the first book. And I also think about how long it takes to write a, a good novel or a good script. Um, I mean, Paul's brother apparently wrote Taxi Driver in like weeks, like crazy with Shane his Black brother.
1: Lethal weapon in three weeks in a car on a typewriter. He, he went and got the typewriter <laughs> to do that and then type. I hate, I
0: hate that. You know, like, <laughs> fuck off. Are you kidding? It's true. I totally hate it. But um, when you read, um, most of the times, people take 10 years writing, like, a good novel. Like, if this was written right. in 1965-1975. Um, and, and it makes sense, but when you need to, when you want to do a product, like, you know, film, and you want to start doing it, you almost want to solve things in a month. Like, okay, let's just start writing, but it takes, it needs to take much more than that.
1: Yeah, but you need to not know. See, like, I need to not know how hard it is. Yeah. The reason I, my first book, I think, well, there's a, re- a bunch of reasons it got done. Is because people are yelling at me to finish it. But uh, <laughs> one of the reasons that one of the reasons I did it, I guess I should say, is that I was naive and to not know how hard it was or to all the things that could go wrong. And and there's a lot to that. You get a lot, a lot of purposes, uh, from youth of just not knowing what you're doing is outlandish. Like you don't even know you're being audacious necessarily. Yeah. Because you're moving too fast and you don't have context and you know. Um, totally. There's a. There's the, the saying, uh, uh, it's easy to be a genius at 25, it's almost impossible to be a genius at 50. Uh, really?
0: You think it, so? You know, Why I, is I, that?
1: It, it was, well, I thought a lot about it because it was, uh, it was uh, the filmmaker that made uh, Nostradamus said that. Um, uh-huh. uh, uh, and uh, I thought at times it was about the way that people perceive you, like... Oh, everybody roots for you or, you know, or then I thought, Oh no, maybe it's about the shifting times, like technology, like the things I was so adept at that made me frustrated with my parents. Now I see my kids and I'm like, Oh my God, it's changing even faster. Like, you know, maybe it meant that. Uh, and then I thought, no, maybe it meant doing something, a second act, you know, like beating yourself, you know, the competition with yourself. And after much thought, I've decided, I don't know what it means.
0: Well, I don't know what it means, but I mean, it makes sense. Maybe with, usually you, you, you imagine that with certain amount of maturity, you are able to create specific things just because, you know, obviously I'm, I am way more mature than when I was 20. And when I think about myself when I was 20, I, I, it will be very difficult that I deliver anything. That's what I am delivering now. Um, it is kind of like incredible when I when I see the career of some people, you know, like for example, uh, David Fincher. I think that he when he did the Fight Club, I don't think if he was even thirty; probably he was in his twenties or something yeah. like that, right? Orson Welles.
1: Yeah. I mean, Orson Welles did it Citizen Kane
0: when he was twenty-four. <laughs> I know, and, then, and, the, and the amount of work that they have, as well the titles, you know, like <laughs> yeah.
1: But then think of the suffocating pressure after that that he never did another thing that. On that, I mean, he did great things out of the past, uh, I mean, uh, no, I'm sorry, uh, what was it, Touched by Evil, I'm sorry. Uh, he did Touched by Evil, he did all kinds of good stuff, but he didn't do Citizen Kane again, you know.
0: Citizen uh, Kane, no, and, and his life went like whoa, down some weird corridor, It's yeah, crazy, yeah. but how can you do Citizen Kane? when you're on your 20s. I don't understand how can you have that sense of maturity, not only on the story, but, you know, like filmmaking, um, directing a huge crowd, you know, mm-hmm. is is yeah. like you are 20-something. You are basically a kid. I mean, and he totally looks like an adult. I mean, even in Citizen Kane, he looks on his 50s, I would say. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so he's like a yeah. total gentle yeah, yeah. Well, to in the early... In the early Walls is yeah.
2: from where I'm from, kind of. He's from like Kenosha. He's from like uh-huh. Kenosha, and he was oh, like really? plucked out of there as a teenager. Like he started touring in theater, and he was kind of that's how he got he got like a ten year head start. He
0: there was you like you
2: know he was very he was a protege. I forget the actress's name, but she was a she was a touring actress who was doing Shakespeare well, all it over the country. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Def, definitely yeah. has a career before. So asking. he got
2: just. He got to start acting and start directing when he was still a teenager. So
0: Are you talking yeah. about
1: Orson? Orson, Orson yeah. Worlds, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then and, and radio, uh,
0: with the Mercury. The Mercury. Oh yeah, it's true in radio with the whole invasion of the yeah, aliens. Yeah, that yeah, was uh, massive. War of the Worlds. Yeah. The War of the Worlds
1: uh broadcast, which was great. People thought it was real. Um yeah. <laughs> You know, and, 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 but it also, not even just, I mean, the complexity of Susan Cain, it, you know, certainly, like, beggars, like, imagine, you know, description, but it's, uh, uh, when I heard, it's also when people have these, like, moments of insight, like, you know, James Taylor, uh, I, I saw this video of him singing Fire and Rain" back uh, in the early 70s, and I didn't realize, I guess he was 22 when he wrote that song? and Jesus. And to have that kind of emotional... Like to me, that's a, like almost more impressive than Susan Kane. Cause like with Susan Kane, you get, you can have a crew and, you know, you, maybe if you get the right people around you and they'll help you and you have months and you can edit and stuff, but how do you have that, that kind of emotional, like fire and rain? How do you find that as hmm. a child, as a, as a, yeah. as a man child, you know? And I think that's, that's kind of interesting. And all the people that have their great albums, you know, and stuff when they're 27, like 27 is the, you know, and, I know when I was 27, like for me, like I had, that was the year my book came out. That was the year I you know, uh, got hired at the LA Times. It was the year that a whole a bunch of things happened to me. And I don't know if it's just a uh, just coincidence or sort of about the, the search for synchronicity that we all like, or if there's actually something to that, you
0: know? I like that. What well, is a beautiful age, 27, fuck, I wish. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I wish I can bo- go back to that moment. <laughs>
1: Yeah. That would be good. That would be good. It was also the first, that was the year I went to Europe for the first time the year that my child, my first child was born. So it was. A lot of things. Wow. Incredible. I remember at the time thinking this is special, like knowing, like, I actually, I actually was very, very conscious of it because of course, I, by that point was a senior citizen because i have been raised the way I was. So yeah, uh, I want to talk to you about windshield wiper because it's awesome. Uh, Like the, it looks beautiful by the way. Uh, Thank you very much. uh, um, tell me a little bit about that look and the, the aesthetic. I was really struck by it. Uh, uh, I like the choices you made, but I, I can't say that I I could tell you what they all are like as far as how it was accomplished.
0: If that makes nice. Sense. Yes. Uh, well, that's cool. I, I, I like to sort of like create things generally that they are not very kind of like easy to analyze. Okay, this was done like this. Okay, I understand technically how it's how it's done I like to create some sort of like a mystery and mm-hmm. I don't do it just for the sake of just confusing the audience like oh my god how this thing has been done yeah. but I, I realized that the final result um, usually is because I am very traditional filmmaker in a way like I like traditional film um, I like traditional animation and I like traditional film as well um, but I like to mix it with um, the new technologies that I can find out there, either 3D or a, any sort of like a software for cloud simulation, uh, liquid simulation, uh, anything that kind of like, you know, make whatever tradition, uh, sort of like a traditional idea that I have in me, like to make it like far beyond. Um, so the way that I do things is basically how Bambi was done, you know, how was done things back in the time, just like a background with a painting, you know, with a character in the middle. Um, But that character happened to be 3D and that character happened to have a specific technology. And I usually also something that is very important. I like to, I like to, to base all my art in sort of like the, the basic rule of impressionism, which is what you can see with a hint of an eye. Um, So the images, they need to be clear, you know, like a, I think that a good frame is a, is a frame that you can actually recognize what are you seeing within a second. Otherwise it's messy and it's difficult to read, uh, which is what happened a lot with these super blockbuster movies with all this amount of like, you know, special effects and, and, and 20 superheroes with You know, with like a dragon and things that they're like, oh my God, where can I look? What is this? I see money everywhere, but I don't understand the image.
3: That's almost
0: like
1: making a poster
3: instead of storytelling,
0: like at that
3: point. Oh, yeah. Everything, you know, and
1: it it loses the aesthetic of
3: what's happening, what matters, and what's next.
0: Yes, absolutely. Very, that's very well said. Yes, I think that each frame. Uh, nowadays it's more like a poster, it's true. It's like all the information that you can put, make sure that the bad guys are here, make sure that the effect is here, make sure that the money is here. So yeah, that's what I like to do when I do, when I do film, basically everything based in, in impressionism. And by saying that as well, I will say that I like to get rid of details that you don't really need, um, you know, because otherwise I think that the the problem now we have with very realistic 3D is the uncanny valley, right? Is yeah. something that usually do not that you know accept. Uh, but if you look at ourselves right now, we are, you know, we have certain age, we probably have wrinkles and everything, but I cannot tell it, you know, I cannot see it in the image and you can read the image. But in 3D, they tend to put, you know, every single detail, the wrinkles, the pores, uh, every single hair. And then I think that the eye, becomes saturated, you know, and, and, and that's basically what creates space, the, the, uncanny valley. um, the super saturation. I think that impressionism, like when we are looking at things, we only see on focus, whatever we are focusing, anything around is very much diffuse. Um, so in a movie, you don't do that in a movie, unless you, I mean, in a, in 3d, uh, you build the entire world you add tons of details even the things that they are super far away and maybe you don't need them so i tend to solve a lot of things with painting and and with simplification and synthesis is is my favorite thing to do always based on the on the physics of light which is all very important yeah you know it, it's interesting as you're saying all that it
1: it occurred to me, and I'm not sure it really ever occurred to me before, but how much it's it is like music, you know. Uh uh you know John Williams, I I I I I think he did the most famous piece of music in history because uh I don't know anything else you can identify in, I mean uh, nah, I mean how many notes is that? Uh nah, you know, Jaws. It's like is that two notes, right? Oh really? You know, like <laughs> You know, if, especially it's if you're true. in a swimming pool, you recognize it immediately, but it's- Yeah, you will leave. It's not a, you just run away. It's not about a bunch of notes. Uh, and it's and then I think about, you know, John Williams, when I went to see War Horse and the, everything, it was so like grab you by the lapels and like hit you. The music was so much. And yeah. I was like, God, what happened to like knowing what to leave out? You know, like more is not, more is less after a point because it just becomes numbing. There's no level. There's no there's no there's no choices. There's no uh, style. So it, it mm-hmm. and, and and that's what you're talking about with uh, the animation screen. Uh, you know, some people are just jamming it with as many notes as they can. So, it's
0: like yeah, <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It becomes stodgy <laughs> almost it's like, oh, my God, what is this? I cannot swallow it too much. Yeah. Um, yeah, if you get rid of details but you leave the enough information, the brain does the rest, and and that's that's what you want. You don't want to have that 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 experience of like being overwhelming by it and 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 not letting the brain to complete things. You know, it's like it's almost like it's the same as storytelling. I think now now that we are mm-hmm. talking about similar samples, like I feel that movies nowadays they are very much about explaining shit like constant explanation non-stop they're explaining the cell phones even in the run yeah as soon as people got cell phones and in movies rant. we
1: were all dead we're done because now that you can just t- explain stuff all through the whole movie like without and still walk around like we couldn't yeah. do that before like now it's like oh like i swear like 24 it, it's just a phone call it's it's just people talking on phones and
0: walking briskly yeah it's true it's true <laughs> i don't know i don't know i don't know why I think that I think that the directors nowadays or the producers or whatever they feel that they owe something to the audience because they're paying 20 bucks to get into the to the film and he's like let's make sure that this motherfucker understand everything otherwise you know he's paying but how beautiful is when when they leave things that they're not explained you know when when you leave things up to the audience to figure things out I think that that's that's mature filmmaking. It's like not knowing everything. Sometimes even as a filmmaker, you might not know. um right. Right. Why not? Oh, you it's, know,
1: it's, it, it, that's that's that make, that's really cool. Like, I'm sorry.
0: Go ahead. Uh, no, no, no. I was just saying. Like, for example, uh, Memento is a movie that you know is is a, a lot of people like that movie. But I was thinking that the it's so complex. That film is so complex, and it has so many layers, and the yeah. entire movie is. A lot of explanation but i think that the best part of the movie for me is the end yeah. when they leave the whole thing rotating and as an audience you are like oh my god what is gonna happen wait a minute are they gonna leave me like this wait a minute
2: you know and they leave
0: <laughs> they leave the finish the movie i think that that was worth watching because finally at the end they didn't explain
1: yeah that's interesting i there's there's a um... Did you see that movie, The Orphanage? It was a horror film. Like a the movie. Orphanage,
0: yeah, that was Spanish. Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that's right. Uh, yeah. I talked to the director, um, and
0: uh, he,
1: what was it? The director believed in ghosts, but the screenwriter did it.
0: Interesting.
1: <laughs> so the screenwriter, and then, and so nothing supernatural happens in the movie necessarily. Like you can, you can say it did or didn't, but like, I, th- I thought it was really interesting because, so the story believes in ghosts, but the vision of the story doesn't. And I'm like, that, that's, that's actually a really interesting energy. They should like try to put people together like that more often. Wow. Um, you know, like, uh, I, I there's like, something to it that, uh, it kind of, if they're both happy at the end, then you probably
0: have a perfect movie. Yeah you know. interesting yeah maybe putting together like an atheist and a <laughs> and a full-on christian or something like that yeah, yeah exactly, exactly that exactly. happened all the time i mean all yeah. of these guys um, there is this team of 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 people um forgot the names but they did that room with a view uh um, oh, merchant ivory the, yeah exactly yeah the remains yeah. of the day sure. the ivory um like there is like him the writer i think is uh, Indian woman, like ethnicity Indian woman, or, or or maybe the producer is, but the three of them, they have like completely different ethnicities, and I suppose that also completely different religions, and then, and beliefs, and then they do all these such a beautiful products that are like, wow, these movies are amazing. Um, it, it always kind of like surprised me every time that I see sort of like making of, of those particular movies from ivory, I'm like, oh my God, look at these three um yeah. they, this this team it looks like so you know like um how can i say yeah they look so different from each other and i'm pretty sure that they have political and maybe even religious beliefs that they are like different maybe i'm yeah. wrong maybe i'm wrong yeah
1: well, i don't know about the religious one but uh but i mean those movies don't have much religion in them but uh anyway so like i don't i don't even know how it come across but the uh I love those. I love I love Remains of the Day, especially
0: Remains of the Day is incredible. It's a, it's
1: a tremendous film. And Christopher Reed in that, you know, like I'm a big Christopher Reed fan. And so I look at that with a lot of wistfulness because uh, that was like I was so glad he had that role. Uh it was shortly before his accident, if I remember right. Uh, you know, wow. I was so glad he had that role because it it was not Superman and it was a success and it was critically
3: Yeah,
1: he was a full adult male. A presence in it and you know it just uh if that hadn't been on his resume if the accident had been before that I think there would be even uh, there would have been extra layer of sadness uh on top of all the sadness you know just because yeah. uh because uh he hadn't had that in a while you know at that time
0: yeah I mean because because he was such a fucking good superman man I mean oh, like come true. on that face
1: yeah. he was the best and it also like, the, like, the earnestness like you know i mean what i'm saying and i'm still standing here in this costume and i know it and it's okay like i mean that's yeah. hard to pull off that you know and and uh the i, I, I the director richard donner the great richard donner who just died uh made me very sad i got to interview him a, a bunch of times uh, a couple times Ooh. on stage and uh in his office i got to know him pretty well and uh one of my favorite things is his stories about Christopher Reeve are just fantastic. You know, really? the greatest stories about Christopher Reeve. Uh, the best, one of the best ones being the day that they were uh, they were shooting some uh, somewhere in England, and and Chris was supposed to be there, and he's late, and he's late. And where is he? Where is he? And and Dick Donner's this big guy with this big voice, and he's like, Wah! you know, and everybody jumps, and it's uh, <laughs> he tells the story really well. Um, and then there's this prop duster uh, flying by, you know, a, a prop plane, and it circles and lands on the, the meadow that they're in, in and out gets Christopher Reeve. Out uh, gets a beautiful woman. Out comes a picnic basket, and he's like, sorry, guys, I'm late. I just met somebody, and we just got carried away. Okay, I'll see you later. And like, it wasn't Amazing. his plane, it wasn't his girl, it wasn't his picnic basket, and uh, he was late, and, you know, uh i'm like that guy is superman that's awesome that's like one of the greatest things i've ever heard <laughs> what a great <laughs> entrance it's just the just the idea of him getting off of that airplane uh if you didn't think he was superman before that you would afterwards would certainly think he could pull it off but uh, yeah he just seemed like a pretty cool guy dick donner when, totally. he got, when he got the job to do superman when he when he got the go-ahead i said so what'd you do and he goes well i rolled a big fat joint <laughs> I put on a red cape, I smoked the joint, I went out and I flew around my driveway and yelled,
3: whee!
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, wow. Uh, great answer. Like, I would ask sooner if I knew that was going to be the answer. <laughs> so, well, tell me a little bit about the windshield wiper look. Uh, yes. And, and it's, you know, I, uh, uh, I love the... The, the images are just fantastic, you know, it's like a, uh, it's like seeing a, uh, a a, Godard film, like uh, flip through images, it was really, it was pretty great.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is a non-linear film and it's very much, what I wanted to do is a film more about feelings, more than to tell a specific story and, mm. you know, it's, it's, Talking about love, it kind of like makes sense that everything are sort of like vignettes. Do um, you remember before we were saying that almost like most of the films they are like trying to explain, um, uh, I was kind of like doing the opposite. I actually hmm. wanna do something where you need to feel something. The images, they need to make you feel in a certain way. You know, it's okay. just like everybody's being somehow either breaking up or having some bad argument or whatever in the beach with somebody. Right. Yeah. And, 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 I remember vividly, uh, one of the times that I broke up with, with my first ex-girlfriend. Um, and we, you are like that, you know, like both of you, you are facing to the horizon. There is no exchange. Uh, mm-hmm. There is no cross on your on your, on your eyes, um, and, and basically you are both facing into the same direction, but there is no cross. You know, there is not this kind of like, um, um, uh, uh, how you can, this, this body language that actually shows any affection. You are both kind of like ready to depart. And that's, that's what I wanted to transmit. You know, like I want people to watch the film and, and understand through images something that might happen in, in anybody anybody else's life. And, and, and that's, that's the most important thing for me, you know, it's, it's like feelings, like you need to feel rather than understand. I think that that's more interesting for me when you make a film, like to, to give uh, some sort of like a feeling rather than, okay, I got the film. Yeah, I understood, this is cool. 20 bucks that they are worth.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's not an empirical argument. It's a uh, it's a tone poem. It's like um, yeah, you know, that's um, interesting. It it it, uh, it definitely felt like seeing snatches of moments of where either love was found or lost uh, was was kind of what I took away from uh, the the images, the montage of it, and and, and it made me think of Rear Window in a strange way, like uh, you know, looking into all these uh, lives and so, yeah, uh, these moments. The, even without context, you could feel the weight of the, the exchange uh, or the, the end of a, the... Uh, either something starting or ending, you know?
0: Yes, totally. And, you know, films are sometimes... Very, I mean, there is. you get the camera into somebody else's life and then you leave it later on. It's, it's just like, usually it's voyeuristic. I mean, film is voyeuristic. You're basically with no... Uh, discretion at all you are just watching somebody else's life for two hours yeah. sometimes it's the entire life sometimes it's just like one day or a few weeks yeah. um and you're just watching you know eating eating popcorn so it's purely voyeuristic and and um i think that that's the magic of, of cinema mostly like like let's be super noisy and watch these people
3: <laughs> yeah
1: yeah yeah, yeah it's, it is interesting because at one point cinema was to was to create something very lifelike, but then it became to create something that's not lifelike. It's like bigger and better than life and different than life. And it is interesting that tug between those imperatives, you know, uh, and also between the, you know, I, I think, You know, if you look at film criticism, you know, I've always been suspicious of criticism. Like Uh uh, I had a chance to try to be a critic a few times and was encouraged to and and always resisted it because I'm a little skeptical of the whole thing. Because I think to be read and to be popular as a writer, uh, if you're a critic, the only way to do that is to be uh, vivid and emphatic. And And aggressive
0: perhaps, right?
1: Yeah, and, I, and I, a lot of times I don't feel strongly about something. And I think that if you don't feel strongly about something and you write about it, it's going to not be good writing. And if you yeah. pretend to feel strongly about it, then it's not good criticism. But, you know, there we are. So, like, I was a little intellectually dishonest. And also I changed my mind too much. You know, I just really do. Um, and also I'm subject to the same things as other people. Like I say I like Radiohead 13% more than I really do because I want people to think I'm interesting, you know? It's interesting. You know what I mean, like. Uh, but uh, the 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 thing with film is that all the film critics come from a writing background. I mean that's obvious. I mean mm-hmm. even, even the ones on television, like uh, Ebert and Siskel, when they were on TV, they were both writing. They were newspaper you know writers. Um, but it comes from like a literary tradition, and, and not saying newspapers or journalism or criticism is literature, but it it's coming from the words and the, and and uh, writing <clears throat> and I think that when they write about film that is more or music that's more about the feeling than about the thought that they, they aren't as kind you know and I think I think it's like music critics never wrote about James Brown the way that they would write about Bob Dylan you know because it's harder to express what James Brown's doing but because it's more, it's less cerebral you know potentially in the way it's executed it's 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 much more elusive you know it's much more in the heart and the feeling and in the in in the balls and in the feet and the you know in the back and everywhere um i don't even i don't even know what point i'm trying to make at this point i'm sorry (laughs) i was just saying like no wait uh, wait.
0: yeah we were talking uh, about the the film now i mean the 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 point yes. of a film
1: is it to communicate yes. something, or is it is it a fe- is it a feeling or a thought? That's that's why I was getting it's exactly feeling doesn't get as much credit as thought because the people that give credit are thinking.
0: I think it should be both. I mean, it's uh, I think that obviously the, the best films for me are the ones that they keep me, that they leave me thinking, and the ones that they allow me to have my own um, interpretation of it. Like for example, one of my favorite films is the Double Life of Veronica. Uh, from mm-hmm. Kevlovsky, and and he he doesn't explain much, and he's, he's just a woman that sees, she sees herself, like a woman that exactly looked like herself in the city for the first time, going on top of a bus. And and the whole movie is just so beautiful, and he just leaves so many of your questions unanswered, answer um, that I found it that is very interesting, you know, and he's like, okay, I need to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to go and read, you know, like david lynch uh every time that he yeah. that like you see moon holland drive and he's like wait a minute what yeah. what did i just watch i need to go and read the internet and it's and then you see that there is like, yeah 2001 a space oh, 2000, apocalypse, 2001 now, is you know, uh, apocalypse now you know apocalypse now it's true there is yeah. a lot of films yeah exactly they leave you thinking and they and then you need to do your own research It's like what did i watch and why do i feel an easy or why do i feel I think I think that that's the the point of making a cool movie. I mean, for me, obviously, there is a lot of people that they want another type of entertainment, entertainment, and and that's cool. But that's not for me. Yeah.
1: Like The Shining,
3: for instance, like I could, you know, you could put it. Yes. No, I've seen it it, (laughs) uh, many, many
1: times and always affected by it and always fascinated by it. I know I've seen it to the credits, but I couldn't tell you what happens. Like, you know, it's like a theme, yeah. return,
3: you know? Yeah, totally. Retrieve it. When did, for Windshoe Wiper, do you remember the, the, was there a single inspiration
1: or, uh, for the, the title and for the premise? or?
0: Oh, the Windshoe Wiper, the title or the film itself? Yes,
1: either, both.
0: <laughs> okay, both. Um, the, the film, I basically wanted to kind of like talk about what love means sort of like nowadays socially. You know, it's it's a question that has been with us for a long time and it's very difficult to answer but sort of like it's, it's almost like easier to answer what love was back in the time, I think. You know, like why we needed love, why we needed relationships and And I think that, of course, um, back in the time, the concept of family was super, super convenient because, um, you know, like you have a a strong family, that means that you're gonna have like a good heritage. That means that they're gonna have you're gonna have help in your business or in the land or whatever, right? So you try to find something that is strong, so your clan is 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 strong uh, for the next following years, and then also your kids are gonna need to have a a strong family nowadays feels that the concept of family it is not as important as it was back in the times and people usually have now one or two kids it's very rare to see these families that they're like eight kids for example right not Mm -hmm. anymore so i I feel that the concept of you know relationships and, and love it really changed lately because everybody's very worried about you know Many things like your career, your um, your evolution as an individual, um, uh, I don't know like uh, yeah. your fun, your, your, your self growth, your own persona. I feel that people is not that interested nowadays on okay, I need to find the perfect person so I can create a strong family. Um, there is people that are happy to be single all their life. so yeah. the, the concept of commitment drastically change over the last few, I would say, 30, 40 years. It drastically changed. So relationships are very, very strange uh, nowadays, and they are in some sort of like an strange limbo. So when you have to describe what is love uh, socially, um, I find myself that I'm like, Oh my God, I'm I'm not that sure. I, I I have the examples of my family, my 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 mother, my father, my grandparents. You know, like Margaret until the end, and then I have the example of what I see in the street. You know, like the people that they are like um, quite unreliable, the people that they don't answer, or the people that they don't want any serious commitment. Myself, my career is over. Everybody, everything. You know, like that's more or less what I wanted to depict the concept of. What is love nowadays, um, and 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 how I see it, you know. So it's very very personal in a way. Yeah,
1: yeah. And you're right. It's 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 uh, over the last few generations. It's the the, the change has been just extraordinarily uh, jagged. It's a jagged change. Uh, and add on top of that, the uh, gender issues, gender inequality, gender yeah. equality, gender. Politics, the 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 changing role of gender and and income, and how that changes things, and um, yeah, it, it's it is fascinating. I hadn't thought about it as in I thought about it a lot. I hadn't thought about it in the effect on sort of the family unit that coming from that direction, but um, in a way, it makes all of us less uh, part of a continuum. You know, uh, people identified themselves more by what their family did as a unit and, you know, certainly in the times you know, times when, you know, it was sort of agrarian uh, society, because of just the, the numbers, people, family needed numbers and they did things as a group, you know, uh, they were yeah. cohesive. I think there's less co- generational cohesion now um, than before. So I think there's like less sense of family identity You know, there's more individual identity, perhaps, but uh, less uh, allegiance,
0: uh, less, uh, less uh, confederacy, so to speak. hundred percent. I mean, I think that people is more worried about making an impact themselves in this world rather than, yeah
1: the The Gallup poll, you know they they uh, they poll people and get their opinions on things, and they've done it for you know dec- decades and decades. There was a change in it after like four decades. Uh, yeah that uh, they asked people, what do you want in life and rank these things? And for the first time, the thing that they, they switched, like what was the top priority? like switched like I think it was like less than a decade ago, but it, the first time Americans said that they would rather be famous than rich. Of course. <laughs> but, but, you know,
3: having
1: everybody know who you are, I don't know if it, I don't know if it on scrutiny if it makes sense. Like,
0: I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense in a society like now. We are, it didn't it. make sense before, but now we are constantly exposed. You That's know, right. how many people is all of a sudden, you know, the mother of your friend is doing a TikTok? It's like, what need do you have? to start doing some dancing in the kitchen when when you are chopping onions it's it's almost like absurd but everybody wants it yeah. it's almost like a drag like people want to be famous they want to be you know they want to be loud they want to make wanna a, an impression yeah, yeah they want to be acknowledged and it's in a society like today because recognition is very awarded you know people that they have recognition they have like a tons amount of people that they follow them tons amount of money, all of a sudden things become um, um, somehow uh, easier. I, I guess that is the, is the dream, right? Like having it's affirmation, yeah. affirmation. Yeah. And before Europe, you were Europe. happy with, yeah. you know, finding your partner for life and creating a family, create a house. And if you succeed in your business, amazing. If you can leave something to you, to your kids, amazing. Um, that was basically four, forty years ago. That's how, or at least in Spain, um, forty or fifty years ago, that was the the basic need. Yeah. Um, uh, very few people they were okay, or few families they were like extremely rich and they were doing amazingly well. But most of the most of us we were sort of like happy with with whatever, right? So I am in the middle. <laughs> I feel myself. I'm I'm in the middle, like. I have the example of my parents and the previous generations and and, and same as, as you were talking with the old people, right? Um
3: yeah.
0: uh, so so all of a sudden you are dealing with with people your generation or you know slightly younger, especially if 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 okay. if you all of a sudden start dating somebody that is like, you know, I'm 42 now, if all of a sudden I start dating somebody that is like 28 or 29, that's a massive gap. It's amazing. Yeah. It's just like the 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 the, the needs and, and, the, and, and the codes, the social codes, everything is like completely different, you know. Uh, so I am very much in the middle and and I think that the windshield wiper was sort of like an excuse for me to kind of like tell this sort of like situation that we are in without telling too much, basically suggesting and, and trying to give you some sort of like a feeling of it.
1: Yeah, the contours of, of, of Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's, uh, <laughs> it's interesting. Um, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something. Um, what's, uh, what's uh, you know, a lot of times we create art and it goes out and finds an audience, then it becomes something different, it comes back to us and over time it changes again you know i've always thought it's kind of like a triangle there's the uh there's the artist and the audience and then the actual um object or you know what the the creation is and, and the the relationship between all three changes over time you know like the my relationship to woody allen movies has changed uh, Woody didn't you know, Woody didn't change and movies didn't change, but I changed, so you know, or you know, I mean, the movies haven't changed, but the way that we view them has changed, or uh, the context of dark times and things. But um, uh, it, it's just interesting to think about that. Uh, for you, with Windshield Wiper, even though it's a relatively short period of time, has it come back to you in any way that's unexpected, or do you see any part of it differently now? Um, yeah.
0: Yes, yes, that's very. That's a very good question. Um, um, I have to, I mean, it's, this is something that is kind of like very interesting about when I do things, which is like, I understand things better with distance, in fact. Um, and there is a lot of things that happened during the process that I was doing them mechanically. I was believing on them. I was inspired by them. And then later on, I realized, oh fuck, that's what I was doing. Mm. Sometimes I realize in the process and it's very good because when I realize in the process and then I kind of like force my direction towards that direction. Yeah, um, calibrate to Exactly, yeah, exactly. It. So huh. for example, just to put an example, I did this film, uh, The Witness, uh, that it was uh, part of the anthology The Love, Death and Robots. And it's kind of like a loop, it's kind of like a chase. And I wrote the script very, kind of like super fast and I saw it very clearly and it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, And then I realized later that what I was basically depicting is some sort of like a toxic relationship. One of those relationships that you cannot actually leave. Um, that you keep coming and you keep coming or probably based on sex or in some sort of like or another emotional sort of like level but you keep coming and it's painful and it's and it's and both parts are victims and while I was doing it I realized about it but no, when I wrote it when I was doing it I realized what it was about and then I start adding Elements that they were very significant for me and then everything started making way more sense. And it was very crazy when I realized like, wow, it's crazy that I was thinking about this because even I was including symbols um, that they are like, you know, uh, inter historically well-known symbols that they depict specific things, you know, and I was even doing them um, subconsciously. And And with the windshield wiper happened something similar. There are some scenes that I understood later. um, And there are some, you know, some unresolved issues of mine that I'm kind of like seeing them there and and I'm like, oh, wow. So it makes sense why I was doing this film because I started a long time ago. I started seven years ago. yeah, but I stopped it because I was working on other films and then I, I came back and then I stopped, came back. But um, I realized later on what was the the real reason. And, and it was this that I told you, right? That like I was very much kind of like in the middle between these generations and when the love is kind of like really, or society is really changing. So love now is even more difficult to define. Um, yeah. So I realized later, I don't know. In 10 years from now and keep uh, to your question how i'm gonna see the windshield wiper you know probably yeah. i don't know probably i'm gonna think that is i don't know maybe i don't gonna like it same as i'm checking my drawings now and i'm you know these ones that i have in this room and, and i'm like oh my god this is maybe maybe who knows we evolve technically and and emotionally and spiritually as well so maybe we are not agree with ourselves later yeah. on. Yeah,
1: I find when I look back on stuff, I can, I can appreciate the moments of uh, growth. Like I can see when I had leaps, and I can appreciate those. And I just kind of try not to look too much into things that I would do, like oh, you know, like if it's a craft thing or if I was limited in some other way, I try not to pay attention to the the limited stuff. I try to pay attention to the stuff that the breakthrough. You know. Um, uh this uh I, I could talk to you all day uh thank you <laughs> but, uh l- one last thing i'll ask um yeah if, uh, i like a mount rushmore uh, gimmick uh you know who would be the four people that you would put on your mount rushmore for for either animation or for art uh for you personally like who, who would be your four Uh, you know, North Stars, if you could have My four
0: four tops, my four tops. Okay, first one, 100%, I would say Erje, who is the the author of Tintin, just because I got my career there and because I am fascinated by that universe. Um, Secondly, I would say... in terms of me, and kind of like almost going chronologically, which is strange. Um, like my my for the same thing, you know, it's like how all of a sudden feature films in animation they become a thing. Oh, that it yeah. was like, yeah, it was like, wow, you know, and. and and the, despite the, that, the product that they might do uh, nowadays is not totally up to my alley. Um, I think I think that, you know, history, in terms of history, you know, like the 101 Dalmatians or Snow White or Bambi, all those super dramas, they are like incredible. Oh, and I very much love that. Um, and he's so terms, audacious,
1: you know, he took such big chances he, he gambled everything three different times like yeah. three different things that had never been done before it's like i'm all in i'm gonna make snow white it's never been done before i'm all in i'm gonna do disneyland you know it's never been done before you know like it's just kind of doing it you know yeah,
0: visionary yeah but the art of animation is absurd i mean like i love it but it's like you need to draw one fucking drawing per second yeah. it's like i no, impossible it's like madness. why you yeah why you want to do that <laughs> Ooh, we we pursue and then we are doing it. It's it's absolutely madness to make a feature animation. Um. uh Fourth, I would say then later. Um. Ah. Uh, Kievlovsky. Oh, sorry, my my battery. Okay, okay, okay. I'm here. Uh, well, Kievlovsky. Good. Yeah, Kievlovsky. I I love it because you know he did this the Decalogue, which is his TV show in the 1980s. That for me is like emotionally in an emotional level, level, one of my favorite things ever. Um, the way of telling the stories, putting the cameras, et cetera, it's like, wow, beyond, beyond everything. Um, and then, uh, and then I don't know, man. Then I don't know. I think that, you know, there's it's like, it's, yeah, it's very difficult to choose because there are so many, you know, like I could say Kubrick, I could say, you know, uh god just because yeah, just because the roots that they put but but I cannot choose one over the other you know i cannot i cannot i cannot do that so <clears throat> or Kevlovsky, i meansky uh, already mentioned um, tarkovsky that just because yeah i, I couldn't choose one or over yeah. another I, I, w- I, respect I, would.
1: That. I respect that answer that's good but i like i I'd rather have three that you believe than four that you're you're tepid about
0: yeah i'm tepid about because there's like a lot of writers as well that i would like to mention now but i'm like would i choose this writer over kubrick yeah. i don't know <laughs> yeah we
1: in college we used to drink and we used to play a game where we would take two you take two people like um abraham lincoln and charles darwin uh-huh. and you have to decide you have to eliminate one from history who wow. who goes you know, and, and we were trying to come Love up with the tough, toughest ones for individual people that we knew, like, you know, I would say to you, like, Walt Disney and Hitchcock. And you'd be like, ah, you know, like, like which do yeah. you subtract? It's a, it's a brutal thing to think about. Like, you know, uh, would you lose Dickens or Twain? You know, like, ah, phew. You know.
0: Whoever you lose, we wouldn't be even talking right now.
3: Yeah.
0: You
1: know, no, like, uh-huh. if
0: you take one single grain of sand of this world, I'm pretty sure. I'm. I totally believe on the on the butterfly effect. Like right. any any single person, you just remove it, and it's the changing. whole yeah, the whole future changes. Hundred percent. It has to. It's just like it's coming. It's, it's 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 physics and chemistry. Like you just take something out of the space, and then okay, there is a space that you have to fill up. Everything is gonna be affected by it.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. That'd be interesting to, to try to uh achieve that visually you know like yeah uh, pulling somebody out the, the django of history um, thoroughly but uh well what a treat to talk to you and, and uh Thank i you. uh i wish you well there in your childhood home i, I think you're, <laughs> you're you're at risk there i think you might have some sort of psychic uh, vulnerability so i'm a little worried about you but i uh totally. <laughs> i really really enjoyed talking to you and, and uh and I know Maya did as well. And, and uh, I hope you'll join us again here sometime. We'd like to catch up with you after uh, you all, all the big awards and
0: everything. Anytime. It was amazing talking, like super refreshing. And you know, we are having a number of interviews and things now. And all the questions, they're like kind of like going into the same direction. And I'm like, oh, my God. So it was very cool to have like a whole open philosophical and artistic talk. That was very cool. Well, if you want to have a conversation
1: without a point, I'm the guy. (laughs) Cool. Thank you so much. I like to tell people I'd rather have a conversation that's Miles Davis than Sousa. You know, I want jazz, not marching band. Like, marching parades are the most boring thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, Yeah, it's true. Walking. It is true.
2: Thanks for tuning into Mindspace. You just heard Jeff Boucher in conversation with Alberto Mielgo, director of The Windshield Wiper, which is an Oscar-nominated short, animated, uh, that's on YouTube right now, and you can check it out. We had You had a great time talking to Alberto.
1: Oh, yeah. That was that was really, really enjoyable. And, I, and I've really enjoyed our recent conversations with animators, like uh, mm-hmm. you know, this, this little uh, kind of tour we're taking into the world of animation because it's such an exciting time. And And Alberto is one of the exciting people in that field. And, um, you know, with the the Emmys that he's won and the success of the films that he's had, I'm sure we're going to be hearing his name a lot in years to come.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's already made his mark on so much. And I think, you know, looking through his CV, I was a fan of his without even knowing it. So, you know, I can't imagine where it's going to go from here. So. He's a
1: very likable fellow too. I really enjoyed talking to him. He's got a, um, see, he just seems very thoughtful.
3: Mm-hmm. So that
1: yeah, was really cool. Um, you know, I, when we were talking to him, um, I mentioned that uh, Spanish film, The Orphanage. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I said it in the right order, uh, the exact, uh, what applied to it, but the filmmaker and the writer um, disagreed on ghosts. Um, yes, yeah. And so what it was is that the director did not believe in ghosts and the screenwriter did. So it's a story that believes in ghosts, but uh, in a film that doesn't, which is kind of a, it's kind of intriguing. Mm-hmm. I went and I found the article, the original article, I wrote back when the film came out and the movie again was called uh, The Orphanage in 2007, uh, right after Christmas, the story ran. And um, the director is uh, Juan Antonio Bayona, also from uh, Barcelona. Also from Spain, and um, his screenwriter, Sergio Sanchez, uh, he and uh, uh, disagreed on the matter of ghosts. So uh, <laughs> I think that's fantastic. You know, uh, Guillermo del Toro produced that film, and I remember talking to him back then, and he was super excited by the, the fact that uh, Bayona and Sanchez did not agree on ghosts. He thought that that was a really a strong point for the movie. Um, so I'm not sure if I said that in the right order though, we when we were talking uh during the show. So if not, I just want to correct that. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it's super interesting whenever there's a project in which two great minds clash. I think that there's a lot of those like that. I know that. Even when you're in school, did you ever have to do that exercise either with drawings or with short stories where you would write one paragraph or draw part of the picture and then another classmate would finish it?
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) I I, I, I like that doing that kind of stuff. I think it's kind of fun. Um, uh, It can be frustrating sometimes, but uh, it's also it's a good way to learn uh, how to deal with people and how to deal with yourself, you know, kind of dealing with people, but uh, yeah, did you we could talk experience? of
2: talk about projects like that I know there's you know I mean in, in whatever genre I feel like there's been a lot of masterpieces that were essentially creative battles
1: yeah yeah contentious uh contentiousness mm-hmm. uh kind of built into it you know the Beatles as we talked about previous shows you know I've always been amazed by how great Lennon and McCartney were together and and the classic example uh, is the, you know, getting better all the time. So uh, Paul comes into the studio with the line, it's getting better all the time, the natural optimist. And John immediately, but perfectly undercuts it with can't get much worse, which is, uh, is the contrary view, but also it really, you know, took that song to a new level. Uh, and That kind of energy, I think, I love their solo work as well, but I think that it was never quite the same as when they were together, just because of the that creative friction. And I'm sure there's a lot of examples of that.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure a day in the life was was contentious, but it definitely has that same kind of uh, punch counter punch <laughs> to it. Yeah.
1: Well, it certainly is greater than some of its parts. You know, it's yeah. it's it's uh, it's two great songs that taste great together, kind of thing. Um, and, you know, neither neither of them had a complete song until you know it got sewed together and and of course the result is
3: is uh is, is made history you know yeah but uh
2: and you yeah. mentioned
3: uh that uh another example
2: it was 2001 i think i can't sure. remember the particulars but i know that arthur c clark and stanley kubrick were kind of in step in the early development stages but uh frequently by the end like could not be in the same room together
1: yeah, that's a, that does sound familiar, and I think it had to do with uh, Kubrick pushing to, to make it increasingly ambiguous uh, and yeah. obscure, like, you know, not wanting to sort of explain what was going on, and I think, uh, if I recall right, that Arthur C. Clarke's just natural storyteller instincts were such that he wanted to make sure that people could at least stay on the ship, like, uh, okay you know not get lost in space so
3: to
2: speak yeah the books the books are like tremendously different than the movies um like if you read Kubrick's adaptation or not Kubrick's Clark's adaptation as a novel which was after the movie it it just adds a bunch of detail like I remember distinctly reading that in in the um in the chamber where David Bowman the astronaut is kind of imprisoned kept as a specimen question mark goes through life question mark um (laughs) in the movie it's it's not quite clear what's happening to him uh in the book it's kind of clear that he's an he's a, a like a guinea pig in some sort of alien habitat and he the only thing he can eat is like a substance that's described like bread pudding so he mm. just eats this bread pudding, which is so different than the movie, where it's like, you know, you leap through decades and centuries yeah, without any bread kind food. of earthly reference versus in the in the book, he's just like nibbling away at his bread pudding. That's funny. Because, like, of course, please. like you said, Clark is the hard sci-fi writer is going to be like, well, how did he live? How did he survive? You know, yeah. versus it, you know, being a metaphor or something or defying right. explanation. It's all just like, well, no, if he's an old man, he has to live 30 years in this little alien room and he's got to have nutrients and it's got to be a substance that's engineered to provide sure. him everything he needs. And it would probably be something like bread pudding. Right, right.
1: Something that wouldn't, uh, would not congeal under the gravitational, uh, you know, yeah true. of that place. Yeah, exactly. With sci-fi writers, a lot of times explaining how they how things work is is a big part of the uh, the gee whiz factor of why it's entertaining to people. You know, kind of <laughs> extrapolating, but it's not weird. This is uh, you know, it's not a tone poem. Uh, yeah. Two thousand one, in a lot of places, it just becomes a tone poem.
2: Yeah, it's so wonderful. I was able to see that in like a full screen at like at like a midnight showing. So like my brain was going yeah. all sorts of weird places. Yeah. When COVID anybody ends,
3: to,
1: anybody would recommend. Yeah. yeah. Anybody in Southern California gets to go by. They show it every year in 70 millimeter uh, at uh, the oh, Egyptian.
2: Cool. It's one of the few places
1: right. on the planet you can see it still on 70 millimeter. So.
2: The Egyptian. But, that's cool because their initial their initial design for the monolith was an obelisk Uh or like a pyramid some sort of um more like more uh what what would you call it orientalist (laughs) prismatic yeah monumental because the the monolith it's like it doesn't really register as a as a monument it it kind of defies any sort of versus an obelisk which is is too readable, you know.
3: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It's uh yeah, it's uh the Egyptians are a great place. It, it, mm-hmm. They uh it is, uh they've had a lot of history there. If you ever come out to to LA, you should definitely go buy something. It's one of my favorite places in, in Southern California, but
2: yeah. They, awesome.
1: uh, they used to have when it first opened, Sid Grauman opened it, the same guy that did, opened the Chinese up the street, same street. But they used to have Egyptian guards, uh, guys dressed like Egyptians, what they thought Egyptian guards would look like, on the roof, like, mm-hmm. you know, calling out the movies and stuff like that. And uh, They had a lot of big premieres there. Uh, you know, Sound Music. I mean, excuse me, it's not Sound Music, the Singing in the Rain premiered there and uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, a lot of really big films. They,
3: and they think uh, Charlie Chaplin's Ghost is uh, haunting the place.
2: Oh, no. Return of the Jedi was that one I know that it caused a lot of creative breaks in the Star Wars team no I mean I was thinking of um Empire, Empire Strikes Back I know Return of the Jedi was the result
1: <laughs> yeah 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 it's I think uh it's I mean Gary Kurtz the producer left while mm-hmm. Empire was ramping up so that would have been a major defection from the first movie really but uh, he left it because of His uh, Han Solo wasn't killed off in Empire because the action figure was the best-selling action figure. Uh, oh, that's so, why.
2: Yeah. That's why he was frozen in carbonate.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because the original script was to kill him off. There's, Han Solo doesn't really serve a purpose after Empire, uh, and uh, that's why and Harrison Ford. That's one of the reasons that he didn't particularly enjoy the films back in the days, oh. because you know he felt like, uh, you know, his character should have been killed off. Um, and uh, I guess George is gonna bring himself to do it. And so they had to wait, you know, until you know, more recent history.
2: Oh, so I think that's I why definitely... you know, Harrison
1: came back is because he wanted to put Han on the ground.
2: Oh, okay. So was the moment he's frozen, is that in the script where like, you can see the faint outlines of a death that was originally planned?
1: yeah i well i don't know that the i don't know that he was in I, um, yeah i mean i think yeah the rhythm of it speaks to the place in the story where he was going to be killed, probably, i would think mm-hmm. but uh not necessarily not the method obviously, but just the uh just the the, the uh, yeah sequencing um uh, yeah
2: because structurally i think it provides a great kind of introduction to the third movie and a reason for you know the characters just a great incitement to action but you're right after that his arc just kind of stagnates there's nowhere i guess they that that it went so yeah i can see why harrison ford would be uh unentertained by it (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean,
1: also, he wasn't supposed to get the girl. I don't think. I don't think Princess Leia was was part of his thing originally either. And I think they sort of pushed that together to kind of keep him in the movie a little bit. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but yeah, I talked to Gary Kurtz about it once, and he was still, uh, yeah. He said George went to the dark side.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, but
2: uh, how do you think? How do you think Star Wars as a franchise would have fared had it went as Grim,
1: and I think I don't know. I mean, you know, the second one's pretty grim anyway. But yeah. I think it would have been. I don't think it would have slowed it down in any way. I think, you know, like you say, like I think by the time they got to Return of the Jedi, that movie's going to be huge no matter what because it was just the, okay. the ending. Um, and I don't think having if if Han wasn't in it or if he was one of the sparkly ghosts in the corner at the at the Lou hour or something,
3: uh, I don't think it would have hurt the movie at all uh as, you know commercially you mm-hmm. know. Uh, i mean you know they killed Han Solo anyway so and it didn't it hasn't really
1: <laughs> you know stirred there was no protest or anything i was a little sad
2: yeah yeah i was gonna say i can't imagine either on the original trilogy or the prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy having to be assistant between the different writers and the producers and uh the brains behind star wars having to ferry notes and corrections and arguments between people
1: yeah yeah well and then, you know some of the recent revelations about the inner workings at disney have, you know show that that you know that that process you know, hasn't really been streamlined or improved much because there there was a lot of I guess uh, there's been some coverage lately about some of the concessions that J.J. Abrams had to make and things like that.
2: Uh, oh, like is that in between after he did the first one or?
1: I think it was uh, on the last one that he did. Um, yeah. Uh, when uh, that there was some, some, uh, some scenes where he had to kind of concede
3: to the, the Lucasfilm or mm-hmm. Disney pressure i'm not sure which one it was hmm. real
1: question though is when is lucas Stone going to bring howard the duck back
3: you know i think <laughs> that's the real question
2: uh, uh it needs to be a buddy flick with salacious b Crumb, obviously
3: i think so i think so although donald is probably a better bet <laughs> just because of uh donald ducking just because mm-hmm. of disney I think Disney's, you know, they should really team
1: up their Marvel characters with some of their traditional Disney characters,
3: you
1: know, like Aqua, uh, like uh, Little Mermaid and Namor, or,
3: uh, well, I thought Indiana Jones and Captain America would be a good fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: So. I don't know where Indiana Jones is going, i first yeah, and things easy.
1: and other things and. That looks confusing although if i mean the one thing uh, is uh if well i mean they pick the right director you know if mm-hmm. uh if there's anybody that can get a good movie out of that franchise i think it's him so i think uh for that alone i'll, I'll if it if it wasn't for his presence I, I would not be optimistic but i think so highly of
3: him that uh that i i'm gonna you know have optimism yeah do you think of any other
2: great artistic feuds?
3: Uh well yeah, let's see. Well, I mean, yeah, almost every
1: band that's big, that's big for a long time eventually, you know, has a you know, I think like the Eagles, you know, just despised each other at one point and still <laughs> were cracking out
3: hits and big yeah. Floyd, you know, the that, that band is yeah. fractured and split. Uh, but uh, yeah I think there's probably a lot
2: yeah uh, one of my favorite ones I think it's the most clear cut is The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot and uh, Ezra Pound though we don't condone Ezra Pound on this show obviously yeah. where T.S. Eliot was just adding more and more and more and Ezra Pound would cut whole chapters
1: it is sort of yeah. fascinating and then those people that do get into those kind of uh, connected uh, feud creative feuding i guess yeah um that when they go on their own like the lennon mccartney thing you know people are always kind of balancing the uh the productivity you know is it is it better to be miserable in contention uh or to be indulgent in solo creativity you know uh sometimes people when they they lose the abrasive opposite part of the the equation, they lose their own. Uh,
3: they lose some of the sensibilities that rein them back in. You know.
2: Yeah. So.
3: But. Well,
1: that's anyway. Uh,
2: in yeah. contrast to that, we got along great with Alberto Miello.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, and animation. I guess you know, you really do have to get along because that is a process. That is not a medium for the, uh, for the. Impatient or the contentious,
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> because uh, they—they—that's a, a soufflé that takes quite a while to bake.
2: Yeah, with infinitely many more ingredients. So,
3: yeah.
2: hats off to him. Check out his work, and we hope to talk to him again sometime.
1: Absolutely, and I hope we make it into the acceptance speech when he wins the Oscar.
2: <laughs> you gonna say that for everyone? Everyone, I just got everyone.
1: Everyone. <laughs> So, well, thanks for joining us on Mindspace. uh, Thank you all.
2: Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) They love us. They really love us. (laughs) Bye.